You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has thousands upon thousands of retail locations all over the United States, and they offer great batteries, right? Now, I got a buddy who is kind of a car nut, a truck nut, and he told me that I guess on the research that he's done for car batteries, interstate battery car batteries and truck batteries are some of the highest quality, most reliable truck batteries that they have on the market. I don't know anything about it. It's just what my buddy told me. So if you're looking for a new car or truck battery, you need to go to your local retail, uh, interstate battery retail shop and go pick one up because I guess they're badass. So I know I have one in my truck. Other than that, if you have TV remote controls, Interstate Batteries makes a battery for that. They make batteries for your rangefinder, your trail cameras, and basically any other electrical device for the most part that you use uh, while hunting or fishing or being outside. They also have a whole bunch of other little knick-knack products too, like uh, uh, my buddy Dan Spano. Uh, he is uh, a manager for his family's interstate battery retail location he got me some of these cool flashlights that have switches on them one of them looks like a lantern so they have a whole bunch of that stuff too if you want to find out more information about the kind of batteries that interstate batteries makes head on over to interstatebatteries.com or visit your local retail store told you been kind of kind of a funny place about hunting you know it's all kind of snowballed on me the whole you know whether it be the shaming for shooting smaller deer whether it be how we've changed hunting from the craft as mike said earlier to more of a uh, let's build a you know an ecosystem and invite deer into it kind of thing all that's kind of just compounded on me here in the last few years and and you know every year i find myself struggling a little more to make sense of all of it and I just wondered if I was by myself you know, I, I kind of think, yeah. am I just out here on the island by myself feeling this way or whatever and so it, it's just really unique that uh, uh, he calls me the other day we're talking on the phone and he says man he goes I'm, 
I'm kind of in a, I'm going through a midlife crisis on this deer hunt. <laughs> My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bears. I feel like an astronaut. <laughs> when are we gonna take off <laughs> i feel like a race car driver scott i was just thinking about uh i remember i remember when you remember in the walmart parking lot this wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been the first time i met you but it would have been the first memory i have of you walmart parking lot i was 16 years old <laughs> Mena, Arkansas. That was just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just All a couple right. years ago. <laughs> yeah. 16 years old, because that's when I started working at Walmart when I was 16. And I remember you were probably, you, you're a few years older than me. But in, when I was 16, you were a lot older than me. Uh-huh. I mean, you were like, just like a different league of <laughs> life. Yeah. And I remember you and somebody, it may have been one of the Clark brothers, came up into the Walmart parking lot. I was pushing buggies, working for Walmart. And I knew you were a hunter, but we didn't really know each other because you were, are you five years older than me? Well, Four. I, I, well I'm uh, 42, so. You're, well, you're not that much older than me. I'm yeah. 40. Okay. Well, we're just two years apart then. Well, I think in school you were at least three years. I was probably old. three grades ahead of you okay, in school. Okay, so that, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I remember you, I started talking to you about hunting in the parking lot. And you said, man, I'm hunting a big deer. And you said, if I kill this deer, I vividly remember this. You, you said, if I kill this deer, everybody in this town is going to know about it. Yeah. I distinctly remember that. Yeah. And then you killed a deer that everybody in the town <laughs> knew about. Yeah. I'd have been 19. So that, that you'd have been, yeah, you'd have been 16. I was 19 when I killed that deer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'd never seen that deer. That was before game cameras and all that stuff. Yeah. So you're just going off of what, you know, the sign that I was seeing. So, yeah, yeah I'd found some sign. I heard a, had a little um, inside information on a, a guy who had seen some, a, a bachelor group of bucks in early season in this area. And it happened to be, happened to be kind of in my backyard. You know, it was yeah. a, and I say public that. Public land, I, though. I say, public that, land. I say that figuratively. You know, yeah. I, I grew up. You know, my childhood, I grew up at the foot of the Ouachita Mountain Range, and it literally my back door butted up to, you know, just acres and acres and acres of National Forest land. Right. And uh, where these deer were seen was just kind of in some really familiar ground for me. So kind of perked my interest, and so went in there just on a whim, trying to see if I could find any sign, and ended up finding, you know, some of the biggest buck sign I'd ever seen up until that point in my life. And, uh, you know... I think that's what hunting was back then. You know, you, you, what I found the first day I went in there was a, was a rub. Yeah. It was, you know, uh, it's probably a five, six inches through hardwood. It's a big rub for yeah, around here. Yeah, you know, hardwood tree, all that. And it was enough for me to hang a stand. You know, it was just, that's all I needed to hang a stand back in those days. I didn't have to have, you know, all the 
stuff you have to have today to feel confident about hanging a stand. So, you know, I just really went off of a went off of a gut feeling that this was going to be the biggest deer yeah you know that i'd ever seen and and sure enough it ended up being the biggest deer even to to this day still the biggest deer i've ever seen. yeah yeah in a world of fast-paced media instagram facebook podcast just like this one you're listening to right now there is a type of media that remains timeless and unchanged in some way and that's print Bear Hunting Magazine, been in print for 20 years, and we aren't going anywhere. This is a classic thinking man's, the renaissance man's outdoor media. I love getting print magazines, mailed to your door, product you can hold in your hand, a product that doesn't evaporate with the day, but remains. Bear Hunting Magazine is an old-fashioned print magazine with all kind of new stuff, It's like the magazine your grandpa read, except way better and modern and relevant. Check out Bear Hunting Magazine for just a couple more days of $15 subscriptions at bear-hunting.com. That's bear-hunting.com. So we've got Mike, Mike Schultz, my uncle. He's sitting here. Mike, let me tell you, when Scott killed that deer... The deer ended up scoring 156 inches. That's right. Yep. Yeah. I remember vividly. At the time, I mean, a 156-inch deer in the Washita Mountains was pretty much unheard of. I mean, people killed deer that big. But a good hunter would kill maybe one of those in a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, well, that, that's very true. But not every good hunter would kill one of those in a lifetime here. I mean, it was a top-end deer and uh no i just i i vividly remember that because you told you called it man yeah (laughs) and you know what that that story so scott ended up killing that deer with his bow public land and that my entrance to friendship with you i would say has followed that trajectory scott of you saying things that happened and were true i was telling mike on the way up here there and i i don't know if i've ever told you this but there are probably five people in my life that have had significant influence on me and hunting and you're one of them oh wow for real well i've come to the conclusion after listening to you i had never thought of it that i called my shot that day but maybe i need to do that more often (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, you need to call it because you know I've been more confident before and never come up with anything, you know. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I need to maybe I need to call my shot more often. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you talk about Walmart and how you you know you, you met me through that day and that incident, you know. But my first memories of you, I didn't even know you. I knew who right. you were. I knew your dad, you know. Yep. And your dad was kind of a pioneer bow hunter in our area. Yeah. When I, when I took up bow hunting, you know, there wasn't. I mean, in all reality, I don't know that there was a dozen bow hunters in right. town. You know, yeah. that, that there were some guys that were into archery a little bit, but not a whole lot of hunters. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I, we had a, if you'll remember there, we, we had a trophy board back in the sporting goods area. And yes. Somebody, that was basically the Facebook of 1994. That's correct. Yeah. And so if you go wanna, to Walmart to see the pictures on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, I can remember going back there, and this was, you know, I was only, 
man, I couldn't have been over 14, 15 years old when I first started seeing pictures of you back there on that board mm. with these bow kills, you know. And, and, man, you said it a minute ago, shooting a deer back then with a bow, especially in, in the Washita's, was a feat in itself. And to come in there and, and see you on the board, and it wasn't this big old huge buck, you know. It just be a might be a doe, maybe a – yeah. a three-point or whatever it was, you know, but it was just uncharted territory for kids yeah. or, you know, our was, age to, to shoot a deer with a bow, you know. Yeah. And so I knew of you, and know, I had a lot of respect for you before I ever even met you, you know, because yeah. just seeing seeing somebody of my age group shooting yeah. deer with a bow and that kind yeah. of thing. And so I'm not going to lie, it sparked a, sparked a fire in me a little bit to take bow hunting a little more were, serious. You were – killing deer before i was though but you were you, you were killing with a rifle i guess yeah yeah i hunted years when i say years you know yeah. it seemed like a half a lifetime like you said when you're 16 yeah three years is a long time yeah. but uh yeah I, I think i if i remember right i think i shot my first deer when i was 12 years old yeah um with a rifle and hunted a, a thousand hours to do that you know <laughs> yeah. um yeah just hunted and hunted and hunted for years and never had an opportunity to even shoot a deer and I shot yeah. my first deer when I was 12 with a rifle and then I got into bow hunting I think I was 14 when I got my first bow now I could be a little off of that but I think I was 14 when I got my first bow started bow hunting um you know in the wash talls and like, <laughs> you know I, I never forget getting up in the tree stand thinking man I've hunted entire gun seasons and only seen two or three deer and here I'm sitting with this bow where I can, and back then, you know, a 40 yard shot was a mile back then. Yeah. You know, and I'm sitting there thinking real and real, realistically, I've got a weapon here that can shoot 25 yards, you know, yeah. what am I doing? And I, you know, it took a it's daunting. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, just, I remember the first deer I ever shot at, I shot at three times and never touched it, you know? <laughs> and so that really started putting bow hunting in, in, yeah. in, in question you know yeah yeah no <laughs> but doubt. uh uh well hey you know the first story that i so we knew each other the same way yeah our dads knew each other right and you were a little bit older than me and our dads didn't necessarily hunt together or anything they just kind of in the community and knew yeah. you know my dad knew your dad was a really good hunter which you scott mike i'm gonna introduce you better in a minute mike schultz sure let me tell you something Scott's Andy Brown, Scott Brown, and their group of hunters are as good a regional hunters are as there are on the planet, in my opinion. I mean, for real. Like for like if you were in Colorado and there was a family of hunters that didn't travel, they just knew how to hunt Colorado. They aren't any better than Andy and this Scott Brown and these guys. I and I, I mean that. And that's that's something that my dad and I've said it so many times on this podcast taught me to respect was people that knew how to get it done wherever God put them. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, because we we kind of saw this influx in the '90s when when we were growing up in the hunting of people that had money or ability to go places kill these big deer. It's kind of when people first started going to the Midwest to kill big deer, and at the time. The only people that could do that were people that had money or had some had some path that we didn't have. The guys that could kill big deer consistently, especially here. And man, in the 90s here, the Washtals were as tough as anywhere on the planet to hunt a white-tailed deer, a mature white-tailed deer. It's gotten better, I think, now. There's, there's probably more deer than there's ever been. 
But but anyway, well, okay, I was going to tell the story. So we knew each other. We knew each other. I knew you just through stories. Yeah. And so I am like probably like eight years old. And my dad said that my dad, I vividly remember. I think I remember where I was standing when he told me the story. That he said, hey, Clay, I heard a story. Uh, and I think Steve Phillips told it to my dad. And well, that, I'm sure it was it was just as big as it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Love that guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he said uh, he said Andy and Andy took Scott turkey hunting the other day, and you would have just been a kid. I mean, if I was eight, you'd have been eleven. Yeah. Something right. like that. Yeah. And uh, he said uh, he said Andy took uh, Scott out hunting the other day, and Andy told Scott to not shoot at a walking turkey. Yeah. That's and right. so Andy called up the turkey, and it just walks right in. It never stops, and Scott never shoots it, and it just comes right in. And, I mean, it was just like, oh, man, what a rookie. I mean, I remember just being like, oh, that's Scott Brown. He's, he, he, what a rookie. And then Scott ends up being uh, probably the best turkey hunter that I know. So our history was yeah. we both ended up moving to Fayetteville that's right. to go to college at yeah. the University of Arkansas. You were like a senior or junior when I would have got up there. And that's when we really developed our friendship. So I would have been like, I think I was 21. So it's kind of like we knew of each other and yeah. had a little bit of experience. But, Scott, you described to me better than anybody how to hunt the mountains. Oh, okay. Yeah. I vividly remember we, we, we hunted a wildlife management area. And I don't have any problem saying the name of it because we don't hunt there anymore. Madison County Wildlife Management Area. Yeah. It's not even called that anymore. Yeah. But it was the... The the perfect Ozarkian habitat. I mean, like steep hollows, lots of bluffs. It was just like perfect, heavy, heavily forested mountain hunting. Yeah. And I remember you told me you said you need to look for you need to look for saddles, which are low spots on tops of ridges. You need to look for trails at the heads of hollows, yeah. where fingers come together. And I, you just painted it in such a picture that I understood. I was like, oh, okay. Because even though I grew up down here in the mountains, we actually hunted south of here and a little bit more of the flatlands, yeah. you know. And so you you described really well for me. You just painted a picture that nobody else had. No, that's number one. I learned it so much during those years. I was like a sponge talking to you. Number two, you taught me how to tell a deer story. <laughs> yeah. You really did, yeah, yeah. whether you know it or not. Yeah. And uh, you, uh, you're, I said this before to somebody recently, is that I've noticed in being around a lot of different people from different parts of the country inside of hunting, you and your family and your people value a story about as much as you value the the hunt. Well, I th yeah, I absolutely. I, I I couldn't agree with you anymore. I, I mean, and I'm going to talk for a minute here. I'm going to eventually let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time I called. It was back before Facebook and just like community. I mean, we communicate quite a bit now. Yeah. But there was a time when we weren't, we didn't. We probably talked on when we didn't live in the same town. And yeah. I'd call you couple times a year and we'd have a two-hour talk on the phone mm -hmm. that's the way communication was do you know, do you remember what i'm talking yeah, about yeah i mean that was before even cell phones you had to dial in on a hard line phone to yeah. have a phone conversation right <laughs> i remember one time you uh, i said how's your hunting been and you started telling me a story and 
I was absolutely riveted <laughs> at this story. I mean, it was just like, I mean, you walked me through like the morning routine, what it was like walking in the dark to the stand, what it felt like when you got in the stand as the wind went across your face. Da 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 da. And at the, I mean, at the end of the story, I mean, I, my eyes are just bug eyed, and I'm like, he's gonna tell me he killed a 180 inch buck on public land in Arkansas, and you were like, a doe deer walked out. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I was just like, yes. But yeah. it, the, the whole story was about a doe deer, and yeah. it was the best story I'd ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. But and not, and I, I can't do it as well as you can. But you taught me how to tell a deer story, and I've noticed your whole—you're just a product of your your dad and other guys that y'all hunt with. Well, yeah. I I grew up, you know, with the luxury of having a a father that was a good hunter. I mean, you know, he had, of course, he had, he had a family that taught him how to hunt, so on. So to say that, you know, I I just was born some great turkey hunter. I was, you know, some good deer hunter or whatever i owe all that to my dad you know my dad you know he taught me how to hunt these mountains around here in a time when there was very few deer around here yeah and uh you know i think about as a kid my dad would load me up in his truck and we'd go to my great uncle's house it'd be my dad's uncle his name was ira willis you know he grew up hunting you know in the 50s and 60s and 70s when deer populations were even less, you know, and we'd go in there and we'd sit down in his living room and he was, he had a, he's a big old guy. He just sat down over there in his big Smith overalls and he'd start telling these stories. And I'm telling you, you were right there sitting in the blind with him or you were, you know, I mean, he would just tell the stories to the everlasting detail. And I mean, you were there the whole time, you know, with them and, and of course you're getting a history lesson too you know he tell those stories that were happened years ago i mean just like was he the guy that just expected you to know every saddle every gap (laughs) every ridge in this county yeah you know i'm i'm i was all of you know 12 years old or whatever 10 or 12 years old and he'd go tell these stories and he'd say well you know you know where that where that big leg ties in over there you know and you'd trying to tell the story trying to put me there with him you know yeah and finally, you just have to say, yeah, 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 you know. So he'd go on, you know, and yeah. it was. Uh, or he'd stop and try to tell you where it was at. Yeah, it, you'd just be like, so finally you just nod, nod your head. Yeah, yeah, I know where that's at. And then he'd keep going, you know. And he'd tell these great stories, man. And, I, I mean, so blessed to have spent just a few years of my childhood with him. He he passed away when I was a teenager. So, you know, I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with him. But my dad would credit him. Okay. Uh is probably teaching him more about hunting than any any other mm. person in his life. Now, Ira my, Willis. Ira Willis. Well, he he was a true. He was just a true outdoorsman. I mean, he was he came up in a time where you hunted out of necessity. You know, it's a, yeah. a totally different thing yeah. than what we experience today. But he came up in a time when you hunted out of necessity. I mean, you you hunted for food to help sustain you. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, you know, he come up through the you know, the latter years of the depression and those types of yeah. things where work was hard to find. And, and, uh, it was important that you hunted and, and did those types of things. And so, uh, he mastered his craft. And yeah. so to sit there and listen to him talk, you know, we didn't do have, remember, you, do you remember how he told stories? I mean, did he, did he, uh, I don't know. What, what was it? Do you think your dad learned how to tell a story from him? I think so. 
because uh, when you when you hear my dad tell a story now, it's very similar to him. Yeah, you know, um, you know, when you're not around me, I tell stories like you do. Well, when I t- when I talk to you, I, I realized this the other day. A lot of times when you uh, you're like, well, tell me the story. I, I when you're around somebody that you perceive as a better storyteller than you, you always kind of just <laughs> cut it short. You're yeah. just, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think you know my dad. He tells stories a lot like my great uncle. I mean, um, people say that about me all the time. Boy, your dad can tell the best deer stories. Yeah, you are the yeah. best hunting stories or fishing stories or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, I think he, my dad would give him all the credit for being able to tell a good a deer lot story. Of, a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But hey, we've we're like twenty minutes in. Mike Schultz, I got to introduce yeah, Mike. Yes, sir. Mike is my is my I call him my uncle. He's my actually my wife's uncle, but uh. Mike is uh Mike's my traveling buddy today. He rode down here with me, but Mike has uh quite a bit of experience hunting even different parts of the world. Hunted a little bit a little bit here and there, hadn't you, Mike? Yeah, a little bit in Africa and Zimbabwe and you know. Yeah. Yep. Texas and now Texas. you live in Arkansas. That's right. Mike Schultz. You both of you guys are massively influential influential in my life. For real. I'm not just saying that. Mike is a Mike is not just a professional photographer. He is a photographer's photographer. <laughs> he really is. And he, uh, Mike's published numerous books. Uh, Mike's a published author. But, uh, but Mike taught me years ago. I mean, a lot of my, my career right now, I attribute a lot to Mike because a lot of what I do right now is visual, visual stuff with photography and video and, uh, right. and, Mike taught me how to how to view light. He taught me how to use a camera. He taught me what was beautiful and what wasn't. For real, like I remember Mike one time we were riding down the road, and and I'm I'm seeing similarities in some ways in my relationship with both of you. And I'll explain. I remember one time, uh, probably 2005, 15 years ago, riding down the road, and it was getting late in the evening, and the sun hit this mountain over in the Ozarks. And Mike said, look at the way the light's hitting that little section right there. And it was the first time I ever thought about light. And if you're a photographer or in any kind of visual videography, light is everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. And, it, and, and we started talking about light. And anyway, it opened my, I mean, it opened my eyes. It gave me some sight. So anyway. Clay was a, a quick study. Yeah. Just a few words and you grasp it and took off and I watched his photography just explode. I mean, very, very definite eye that he has and ability to capture, especially capture people and environments around people. So, yeah. And Scott, I'm kind of, I'm kind of jumbled here, but, uh, Scott, you also, the third thing that you taught me was an appreciate appreciation for the Washtals. You really did. I mean, I, I I grew up here, so I did have an appreciation for them on my own. But when we moved to Fayetteville, you said, uh, "If when I close my eyes and think about where I want to sit to deer hunt, and you'd name the place that both of us know." Yeah. You 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 kind of painted this picture of this just like larger than life thing, and, and it was just it's just a place. That was just hard to get to and beautiful and kind of mysterious in that 
you know, nobody's running game cameras back in there to see if yeah. there's big deer back there. But you, you know that there is. Yeah. And uh, and that that in, influenced the way that I viewed these mountains big time. You know that that place that you're talking about today. I would tell you that today the same as I told you that. I know you would. Fifteen years ago, when I sit and think of a place I'd like to spend a day, sitting in a tree, just sitting there. Uh, I'd still name that place. And there's there's a far likely chance, far more likely chance that I would not see a deer sitting there. Right. But I would sit there the entire time thinking that any minute it was going to happen, you yeah. know, and, and be happy about it. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful place. There's something about the Washita's though. You know, we moved to, when we moved to Northwest Arkansas and started hunting the Ozarks, it was a, it was a big change, you know, it was, it just, was, it was, it was but why you i thought about you think about it though the hunt was so good up there but every chance i could i came home to come hunting yeah you know um so make sense of that you know it's just right you you had a lot better chance of shooting something it's part of and even you talking about a a specific place that you love so much of our hunting the value that comes from it comes from and johnny carroll saying my buddy said this two podcasts ago it comes from our connection to place yeah. quote unquote our connection to place what what is our place in that environment yeah like and i talked about how when i go to canada and kill a big buck up there man i love it and i'm going to keep doing that i enjoy that yeah but it means it's, it doesn't mean to me what it would mean here yeah to kill just a good buck mm. yeah it do, it doesn't it does not because i don't have a connection to place up there yeah, I don't fit really up there just just because of natural. I didn't grow up there. Right. Mm-hmm. There's val there's value in roots. It really is, man. And, and some people don't have real strong hunting roots or whatever, and that's that's you know. Yeah, I was thinking, but Scott, just the lineage of your family here has, I think, probably produced that sense of place inside of you. Those stories that your grandfather told and your dad would tell. Yep produces something here that goes beyond the game itself goes even beyond hunting it yep. goes beyond it's a love of the place yep. that that uh, yeah if it was so good there most most guys would have gone up there and stayed up there oh the hunting's phenomenal i'm gonna go hunt yeah. and and they would have moved there uh and and you didn't you came back here well yeah. like me in northwest arkansas scott I, t- I think i told you this before but I had this epiphany like last year. I could drive the same distance northwest and be in southeast Kansas yeah. in some of the best hunting in the country right. for deer. But yeah. you know how much I drive due south right? and coming to this rough country to hunt. <laughs> yeah. I'm after something different. I mean, if I was just if I was just trying to kill big deer – I would forget this place. I, I totally get what you're and saying. There, and there's value. There's added value to anything that is perceived as valuable by the people that you value. Oh, yeah. That sure. You follow me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like sure. your dad and your great uncle. I mean, not that hunting is about pleasing someone else, but hunting does gain a lot of value from our social connections massively. Yeah. Like, I've thought before, like, would Clay Newcomb hunt if I couldn't tell anyone? or there was no one connected to it that valued it as well. Yeah. That's a fine line to walk, though, because if you go too far down that, then you say, well, 
are you hunting just to impress people? Right. And the answer to that is no. Right. But when I kill a deer in these mountains or a bear, you're one of the first people I call. Yeah. Are you not? Oh, absolutely. And do you know why I call you and not, you know, my other buddy that I hunt Canada with? I call you because you value this place. Right. And if and you know what I've just done. Right. And so, you know, I reach out to the person that's going to probably validate that. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and that's, a, that's a fine line to walk because, you know, the, 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 the trend of the age, especially with Instagram and Scott's not on social media, um, he's, he's disconnected, which is, <laughs> well, he's, he's like a primitive man. Well, uh, oh, I, we're getting a high I, five. I, Neither I, is Mike. I'm waiting to Both these guys aren't on social media. <laughs> you know, the trend of the age is that people are building these Instagram profiles and identity. They're just false. Right. It's just not who they are. They're doing things that they wouldn't do except for that they're going to, they know they're going to get a good photo, put it on Instagram, get immediate likes. They get a release of satisfaction inside of feeling like they're something. So again, the pendulum is that, but the, the, the core of something that I think is, is, is healthy is to have true relationships with people that they can value and celebrate. Sure. You know, they can celebrate what, you've done and i celebrate what you i mean you text me pictures call me when you kill something here too well it's funny you bring it up because when, when you came in we're in a of course you know, on the podcast you can't tell where we're at but we're right. in a room here where we've got deer heads hanging on the wall and different things and, and we pointed out a deer that i'd shot several years back with my bow yeah i shot that deer watched him just run out of sight picked up my phone and within five minutes i was texting you yep. man i've just shot a big deer you know i actually had service yep. there where i shot that deer and you know that's i couldn't wait to tell you because yeah. where i was hunting was kind of in your neck of the woods like where yeah. you where you like to hunt and yeah. uh i thought man if anybody's going to appreciate this clay's going to appreciate this so yep. man I, I i couldn't wait to text you and tell you that i just shot a big deer and i hadn't even trailed the deer up yet or anything yeah. but i knew you know the arrow was good i knew it was yeah. gonna you know i knew it was gonna be a done deal and i just couldn't wait to tell you the story but yeah i, I think there is a lot to what you just said I, if we didn't appreciate it together as a group what, you know how interested would you be in hunting i don't know i don't do it to brag about it but i do it to share experiences with my yeah. closest friends and people who appreciate what I appreciate and that type yep. of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and, and just like you said earlier, you mentioned that this big long story. I drug out and drug out and drug out just to tell you I shot a doe. Well, man, <laughs> that was a big deal to me. You oh, know? Yeah. And it still is today. I'd still lead you down a long story to tell you about a doe I shot today. Yes. I still get appreciation for that. Like I did, you know, 20 years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. And, and I know you do too. And so Absolutely. that's why I tell you the full story. I was thinking, uh, do you remember that doe in the snow in Madison County? I do, absolutely. Do you remember me chasing that fully live deer? <laughs> yeah, I do. That was the greatest. I tell that story about two or three times a year. To do you really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I tell. Tell. I, see, it's been so. I bet it's been fifteen <laughs> years since I heard you tell that. But I knew that you told that, making fun of me. Oh my goodness. So yeah, we're in Madison County, uh, up there hunting in a in a management area. It has snowed. 
And Which we, is pretty rare for Northwest Arkansas. Fairly yeah. rare. And it was a pretty good snow. Like I had yeah. four or five inches of snow on the ground. And we just could not wait. It was still, it was late archery season. We When do you think it was? January? I'd say it was in January. Yeah. Um, probably in January. So, and it was cold, real cold. So anyway, we go up there and spread out on, you know, the, this management area has these food plots. And I think you and Josh sat on some food plots for the evening and saw just a pile of deer that evening, if I remember oh, right. That was the day that I saw like 33 deer. Yeah. So, yeah. and I, I go hunt that. this old trusty spot that I've hunted, you know, 10 times or more and on a, just a game trail and just kind of hoping for the best and only saw five deer all evening. Like where you guys saw, I think you and him together saw nearly 50 deer or something. It yeah. was some crazy number. And so anyway, I, I see five deer, but I have this deer come in and, uh, anyway, long story short, I, I get a shot at this deer and it is not great. Like I know the arrow's a little back. It's not great. Deer runs off. But anyway, I, I give it time. I get down, I walk out there and you know, the arrow looks pretty good and the blood looks pretty good. And of course in that snow, it just, you can just see it. Yeah. It just jumps out. So, you know, I remember walking out and waiting on you guys to come out. It was well after dark by the time you guys made it out to me. And anyway, um, I don't remember how much time had passed, but quite a bit of time had passed. And I said, you know, the blood looks good. The arrow looks good. It may be better than what I, what I'm thinking. And so we decided we go down and look at it and sure enough, the arrow looked pretty good. And, and I think we all, kind of decided hey i think this deer's dead you know so we start trailing this deer and it's it's really easy to trail and somebody i don't remember who is me or josh somebody shines up there and there is a deer standing down there looking at us glowing eyeballs right down the blood trail and mm -hmm. we all just immediately thought oh there's the deer you know right he's oh, alive oh man we he's still alive you know and we're all just standing there trying to trying to decide how we want to go about this do we just back out i mean what is the deer like is he bedded we couldn't tell you know it was dark oh boy clay's like man i i think that deer's bedded you know and, and it was kind of down a ridge so and i think it, it was i think it was laying it, down it may have been laying down so we decided to deer you gotta just, give me that at least okay i'll give you that so clay just goes you know what we need to do and I said, what's that? And he goes, we just need to bull rush that thing. Go over and jump on it. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's something new. You know, we'll give it a shot. So anyway, Clay just says, let's go. I mean, he takes off, and Josh is right behind him. And, I mean, it's just flashlight lights bouncing in the night down the ridge. And they, they run all the way off the end of this ridge. And I'm like, what is going on? And I. I, and I just kind of walk up there to a deer dead laying on the ground. <laughs> and they're still chasing this deer off down the ridge. Oh, great story. And I, finally, they get down at the bottom of the ridge, and I'm like, hey, guys, deer's right here. <laughs> and they literally just ran right by it. Y'all ran right by the deer. On the, yeah. You know, you're in such a such a rush to get off down the ridge. So that's a great story. I tell that a couple, three times a year. Chasing a fully live deer. Yeah. Now, see, yeah. here's the way I remember it. I remember seeing the deer and thinking it was bedded and just saying, like, there's the deer right there. And then it got up. Okay, and yeah. I, I, I feel like that's when I said, let's go. Let's get go. <laughs> Sucker's getting away. Yeah. And and so we just <laughs> took off. And now see what what you wouldn't know or you may have known. I, had, I got a pretty good history of running stuff down. Yeah. <laughs> I got a pretty good history of running stuff down. Oh, yeah. So, 
You know, that was, that was probably a couple of years after, uh, well, I don't know if I can tell that story on a podcast. Mm, that's a tough one. I had to wrestle a deer down in the middle of the road after I hit it with my four-wheeler one time. Oh. Do you remember that? It's a wonder it didn't hurt you. Man, well. On the four-wheeler part. Like, oh, it nearly. Yeah, that's what I'm well, saying. I was running about 55 miles. I mean, I was running full tilt on a on a Yamaha 350 twin Banshee <laughs> on a, out at, a, well, out in the Washington National Forest. Yeah. I never saw the deer, and it just, I just felt something just smack me just bam smack and uh the four-wheeler it felt like just moved sideways two feet but didn't didn't get caught in the wheels didn't flip me didn't wreck me just slammed on the brakes and turned around and there was a deer flopping around like going off in the ditch and so my dad and a bunch of people were way behind us riding slower four-wheelers I was riding the fast one, leading out front. You know? Right, oh, yeah. And and this deer is clearly going to die, but it's like running off. And so, man, I just take after it and just just tackle this deer. <laughs> and uh, and you can't hardly break a deer's neck. Let me just tell you that when by twisting its neck. And uh, anyway, my dad comes around the, the – and, and my whole family comes around the corner – and I'm laying in the middle of the road with this flopping deer. We got him. We we took it. We took him out quickly though. But you can uh, you can chase one down if you have to. Part of what we wanted to talk about was what you termed the other day, Scott, the death of the death of the sportsman. Yeah. When we were talking the other day. Yeah. Expound on that to me a little bit. Well, it's you know it. There's a ton of rabbit trails you can go down while talking about it. But, you know, I think about how I grew up hunting versus how my kids are hunting today and the how much difference there is between that. And and then compound that to how my dad hunted when he was a kid and, and so forth and where hunting is going, I guess I should say. And, you know, when I when I was and I'm not an old guy, but here in here in the um Washitals, even in the eighties, early nineties, deer were scarce and um it was, you know, a feat to shoot a deer of any kind. Like the smallest buck right. in the woods, you know, it was a big deal. Uh, and yeah. it was looked at as a accomplishment to shoot any kind of a deer. Right. And you know, hunting was done so much differently then you know you 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 went out here on public land and you walked and walked and walked and you studied the land and you studied the mast and you studied deer movement and deer sign and you did all these things and tried to find the perfect thing to 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 set up on and to hunt and in most cases never saw a thing you know, right. and it wasn't that there wasn't deer in the area. There just wasn't very many deer in the area, and deer just were spread out so right. much wider than I than I feel they are today. And so, what it did is it it really it really caused you to study the study harder and put in harder work on studying natural deer habitat in their own environment, and so on. And so on. And I think where does that come from? Well. You know, we've talked about my great uncle and even my grandfather and my dad. You know, they come up when deer numbers in Arkansas were just, you know, horrible. And right. 
you know, where, you know, the total deer harvest in a state in a year, and especially when my great uncle was hunting, you know, there wouldn't even be a thousand deer checked and it checked in as, as killed in the state of Arkansas in the entire year. But yet they were killing deer back then. And, you know, those guys, you know, were hunting was different for them. We hunt. What would you say? Why would you say you hunt? You hunt for what? That's a loaded question. I I, I do. I mean, I hunt for uh, I hunt for meat. I hunt for challenge. I hunt for adventure. I hunt to okay. be immersed into wild places. Yeah, and and that's why me and you get along so well. Is because we hunt for other reasons. You know, I think a lot of people right now think about hunting as a sport. Right. You know, it's a sport, and and a, every sport you ever play, there you, you're trying to win something, right? You're trying mm-hmm. to be a winner or whatever. You know, people in the fifties. Go back as far as you want, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever you want, hunted more out of necessity than they did for sport. I mean, I, I don't think if you ask somebody in 1955, do you hunt for sport? And they, you know, they'd say, no, I, I hunt to feed my family or I hunt right. to, you know, provide for yeah. somebody. And so I think I said it earlier, but that caused people, if you knew what you harvested or what you killed or what you trapped or what you you know, caught, uh, fishing or whatever was going to feed your family, you'd learn how to do it pretty well. Yeah. You know, if it, if it was something to sustain you to some degree, maybe not a hundred percent, but to sustain, maybe it was 30% of your food, 30, maybe it was 40% of your food. You'd learn how to be very good at it very quickly because your family's counting Especially on if it. it was scarce. Yeah. Like it, like it would have been back then. I Correct. Mean, it was hard to kill a deer. Correct. And so, you know, when I think about folks of that time period, let's say 50s, 60s, maybe even to the 70s, a lot of people trapped. Trapping was a big deal. You know, and trapping's becoming less and less popular every year that goes by. Because back then, it, furs were worth a whole lot of money. Correct. You so could, that money you, could, those hides could be traded for cash money that paid for stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you sit there and think, 19, even in the 1970s, you know, a, a raccoon hide was bringing $20. And you think, well, man, that's not a whole lot of money. Minimum wage was a dollar twenty-five. Yeah. So you could make in one night coon hunting or coon trapping or whatever you, however you wanted right. to do it. You could make in one night what people would work over a week. That's a big deal. It was, And that was a huge deal. And so, you know, not only was it – sustainability to for food and what to put on your table but it was it was income you know and those guys trapped and when if you want to i've always said this but if you want to find a really good hunter find an overland trapper and they'll be one of the finest hunters you'll ever be around because they have a they have an understanding of animal behavior and movement unlike anybody else in the woods right and those guys they didn't just trap while they were trapping, they were paying attention to everything around them, deer tracks, deer trails, you know, deer sign, all those things. And they, and they studied deer at a level that we don't today. Um, and I'll, I'll go a little further into it later on, but those guys, I think you and I were talking here a while back and I said, you know, back, back in those days, you inserted yourself into a deer's home in his ecosystem, if you will, and tried to put yourself in a place within his own domain 
and tried to harvest that deer. And it was very difficult to do because there wasn't a lot of deer. And so you searched high and low for a right. buck to hunt back in those days. And then um, put all the pieces together. You know, those guys understood travel paths and travel routes. Right. And they understood, you know, scrapes and rubs and stuff that, you know, you saw. T- we've seen a million articles written over the years on how to read deer scrapes and rubs and all that type of stuff. Those guys understood that stuff in the 50s and the 60s, you know. Or how but, to kill deer off of it anyway. Correct. They may not have understood the science behind it, but yeah. they understood what it meant for deer movement and how to yeah how to find them yeah without the you know without all the articles to read and and yeah. all the free information we get to get us ahead yeah. of the game you know yeah and so anyway as as times went along deer hunting has changed a lot and you know and before i speak anything i want everybody to understand what i'm about to say i'm not trying to offend anybody because here's the here's the thing i don't care how you like hunting i don't care if you if you hunt over bait, if you dog hunt, if you do deer drives, if you, I, I don't care how you like to hunt, whatever suits you is fine with me. So what I'm about to say is going to sound like I, I don't appreciate the way people right. hunt today. I absolutely do. In fact, I participate in, in the very thing I'm about to talk about. Okay. Yeah. Do so, it. I hope we offend everybody listening. To the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, I think some, I think sometimes people take it as if I don't agree with certain yeah. ways of hunting wrong. I, I don't care. That, that, that's, to each of their own if you want to hunt over bait hunt over bait man i think it's great uh but you know coming back to that i think um you know today with game management and i want to almost say that in quotations right game management we want to we're wanting to to manage the deer that we that we're hunting now or or maybe it's bears we're talking about maybe it's deer maybe it's turkeys whatever but we're we're in a game management mode these days and so now it's about let me create the ecosystem yeah. and invite the deer into it to my, the ecosystem that I've created, which is totally different. Yeah. So if you take a piece of property, whether you, you're on a deer hunting lease or maybe you own a piece of private land that you have access to and, yeah. and maybe you, you plant food plots, maybe you put in ponds for water sources, maybe you put out corn feeders and run them year round or whatever it is to – to create an ecosystem that is very friendly to deer. Yeah. And so you nowadays, rather than going into, you know, a deer's, you know, home, if you will. Right. And, and try to hunt a deer from that. We're creating an ecosystem mm-hmm. that we know everything about. We know every single square acre of it, yeah. where every pinch point, is, you know, we, we, we create it into that. and then we draw them in. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's not a, again, it's not a bad thing. It's just when, different. It's different. It's, it's a different. different, there's reasons for that. There's a couple of reasons. And I, and I think about where we're going to from hunting. Like there's in a lot of cases you have to hunt that way. Yeah. Let's say, let's say you're on a hunting lease and with that hunting membership, you get three stand locations. Right. And that's it. So you're going to do everything you can to attract deer to that place. Correct. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to put your stand up and you've got to do whatever you can do to get that deer to come in front of that stand. Yeah. And, and, you know, which is much different than having, you know, a million acres of national forest and trying to, you know, pinpoint a deer down. And yeah. So it, again, it's not a negative thing. It, it's, well, it it's, could be though, Scott. And that's, 
I think that's where we're going. And, and we've yeah. talked about it on a couple of these recent podcasts is that what's the end goal of this? Right. Like wh- where does it, where does it end up? Correct. Because uh, me and you, we, you know, I've killed deer over bait. My kids have killed deer. Over, we can hunt, we can hunt over bait in Arkansas. Yeah. But I think we can, and, and there's a lot of places where you can't hunt deer over bait. But I think we could say that even just building food plots and manipulating habitat. Yeah. Like maybe maybe that's the phrase that we could use. Sure. Um, and there's so many different levels that people get involved in this, and, and, and there's a lot of nuance inside of it. You know, like if you've only got 30 acres to hunt in Arkansas. Right. And it's totally legal to put out bait. Sure. And you want to kill deer. Yeah. And you want your kids to kill deer. Yeah. And – Boy, I can tell you, I know exactly how that works because yeah. you can sit there all season and see just a handful of deer on that 30 acres and have, you know, struggle to kill a deer. Right. Buddy, you put out some corn, you're going to kill some deer. Right. Yeah. And it's it's hard to fault a guy for that. No, you can't fault a guy for that. But <clears throat> where does it lead, though? Yeah, and that's because what we're talking about here, it's, it's not it's – not, uh, we're you know we're both agreeing here that's it's not a bad way to 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 shoot a deer i mean that's perfectly acceptable i my like you said my kids have killed deer over corn i have no problem with that yeah. um what i see happening though is even in my own kids and it's it's my fault as a parent up into this point now my kids are still pretty young yeah but they don't understand what bucks on how to hunt bucks on they don't understand how to hunt. You know, I could drop my kids off in a national forest and say, go find the best place you feel like to hunt a deer, and they, you know, they wouldn't know where to get. It'd yeah. be overwhelming to them, and they wouldn't understand, you know, to find the pinch points, the funnels, the, the places, yeah. the saddles, and all those things. And if they did, they'd sit there about two days and not see anything and be like, let's go back and hunt the corn pile. Yeah. You know, I mean, because it's a conundrum, man. Yeah, because it's so much easier. It's easier and it's far more, you know, you're going to see a lot more deer if you do it that way. And, you know, that's kind of where we are. Kid, you know, I should say kids, adults, we're in a fast food society now. Everybody wants something, they want it right now, you know. And, yeah. it's, you know, so it, as a society, we're, we're impatient. We're very impatient. And so, whatever we can do to, to speed it along. And the other thing is, is man, we're busy. Yes. You know, as a society. We talked about that last, mm-hmm. just last week about how time is a major limiting factor. It is. So, you know, our our grandfathers, our dads, I mean, us, yeah. 20 years ago, we just weren't as busy. Yeah. We may have worked as much, but there was less, there was, there, there was, there was more recreational time. Yep. For the most part. Yeah. And in, in that recreational time, you were outside. Yeah. You know? My my parents grew up without television. They grew, you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. what you what time recreational time you had, you did it outside doing something. Yeah, and so you found yourself in the woods more. And like I said before, you, you take my grandfather and my great uncle and some of those guys. I mean, their job was in the woods in a lot of cases. Yeah, and so man, they had all the time in the world to study deer and all that stuff. As fast as we move in today's society, I mean, there's just never any downtime. It feels like, and so whatever you can do to better your chance for the four days you get to hunt during season. 
You know, and that's right. the other thing you have to consider. You know, a lot of guys only get to hunt maybe three or four days of the entire season. Maybe maybe they yeah. take a week off, one week out of the yeah. entire hunting season, mm-hmm. and they put all their eggs into that basket. They're going to do whatever they can do to, to increase and the they're odds. Gonna whatever, they're going to they're gonna so, socially and functionally be pressured to do whatever the regional norm is yeah i mean like if you're hunting on a deer lease that's 1300 acres yeah and there's 25 guys on that deer lease and all those 25 guys are putting out corn in front of their yeah deer stand then if you're going to be successful on that lease you're going to have to put out corn for your deer stand correct Most, you, i mean you know that there's no. probably a deeper way of of thinking about it that might yeah. be successful but you know that's the idea correct and and so the mike did you have something yeah as we're discussing this the thing that I'm thinking about is, is Scott is how much does this change the value of hunting? Yeah, yeah. The, you know what I'm. You value it more because you worked, and it was part of your. It was well, even for your grandfather and your father, it was part of a lifestyle. Yeah, it was the way they lived. It wasn't just something they did, did for recreation. It was, it was part of their life and something that was nece- You know, was a necessity, but. You know, as it becomes easier, and the pressure to to um, well, as the habitat has changes, and as people have less time, and you know, food plots and all this, I just think about what happens to the value of hunting. Right. You know how how does a hunter value hunting? Uh, and that's today? ultimately what we're what we're sniffing out. That's right. Is like wait a minute, does this have the value that it used to? Right. But it's a slippery slope because they're not everybody. And this is, this is where I've come to, and I don't know the answer, is that not everybody has to value hunting like you and I do, Scott. Right. Mike doesn't. Right. I mean, really, Mike isn't that serious of a hunter. Right. Like, he, he's not trying to be. Right. It's just a small part of his life, pretty small. Me yeah. and you, it's a big part of our life. It is. It's a big part of our culture, our history. It's, and so not everybody has to be like me and you. Yep. And that's the hard part because if we, if, we, if we cheapen it, and I mean, I'm a massive proponent for baiting bears. And so, I mean, sure. like I'm, there's, there's all kind of nuance and all kind of different stories. Yeah. But – the the problem is is that if we if we make it so easy will there come a day when our kids because they've not really earned it when they don't really value it and they quit fighting for it correct in 50 years from now when you and I are dang near 100 Scott yeah our kids will be like ah hunt is not that important to me right and and it and so th- therein lies the thing Johnny Carroll saying the other day told me he 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 quoted a, another author that said we don't need more hunters we need maybe we need better hunters because we talk about needing more hunters right like to for this thing to persist yep and ultimately by liberalizing game laws by making things easier like we're we're making it easier for people to become hunters right. And so the conversation we had was like, what if we took away everything that made it easy and just made it hard? Right. And my point was, well, we'd lose everybody. We'd snuff it out. We'd snuff it out. Yep. But his point was, maybe we wouldn't. 
Maybe we don't need more hunters. Maybe we need better. And by better hunters, it doesn't mean guys that are successful killing bigger bucks. Yeah. By better hunters, meaning people that really have a rich, deep experience inside of hunting that's valuable for their life that they want to bring forward into future generations. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And But at the same time, last podcast, I had a new hunter on, good friend of mine. And I encouraged him. I said, man, you don't have to be a serious hunter. You could you can hunt two days a year. Mm-hmm. And that just be all the hunting you do. And you have as much input into conservation in some ways as I do. Because we, a lot of what we talk about now is conservation dollars. Yeah. Like what money does hunting produce that is going to save habitat, that's going to it, – it, it's, it's – that is more crucial in different parts of the country than maybe even here. But like, you know, if, if there's no hunters, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission isn't funded. Probably right. about half of their funding comes from, I don't know if that's the exact data, but right. a lot of their funding comes from sale of, of hunting licenses. Well, Jonathan Webster hunts two days a year and buys a $25 sportsman's license. Clay Newcomb hunts X number of days a year, buys a $25 hunting license, just the same. Right. So he's valuable. But if he's hunting two days a year in Arkansas, he's probably going to be sitting over some corn. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Is he bad all, for that? Well, that's the only two days he's got. So, yeah. That's right. I mean, golly. You do but your, yeah. are his kids going to value hunting the way right. that our kids hopefully do? Yeah. Yeah, and that makes me worry. You know, I thought about something today. I was sitting there thinking, you know, you said if we if we water or if we cheapen it or if we water it down or if we make it too easy or we you know will kids uh, will kids have a deep appreciation for hunting like you and I do? And you said, well, you know, you don't have to have a deep appreciation. I right. get that. Yeah. But somebody does in the future. You know, that's yeah, my, that's yeah. my problem. Is is in you know uh, the future's infinity or whatever. But you know, you've got ten years from now or let's say when me and you are gone and our kids are grown men with their own families, well, they have an appreciation for hunting that me and you did. And what, what I worry about is if they don't, are they going to fight for it as hard as me and you would fight for our ability to hunt every day? Right. And so that worries me in the future. I and feel I, and like, I think the answer to that is no, they wouldn't. Yeah. And I worry you, about you, that. You, I mean, life is full of fights. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't really believe in something, you're not going to. I mean, life is full of fights in terms of a metaphorical fight of just time. Yeah. I mean, like, it's real easy to not, for the kids of even hunters, to not really latch onto it because of the pull of society. It's so strong right now yeah. on our kids. Yeah. And it's not necessarily bad, but, you know, I mean, it's like there's so much. Yeah. It, 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 a kid could be raised up by a guy like me or you and not even be a hunter. Right. Which is just bizarre. Yeah. I mean, because there's so much pulling on them. So, I mean, the, the, will they value hunting enough to even teach their kids? Right. That's the question. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then there lies another question. Why do we care if hunting lasts beyond us? Our lifetime. That's right. Why do we care? Why do you care? Yeah. And, and that's where you, where, that's where you arrive when you when you start thinking about that. You think, well, if it doesn't matter to our kids, what does it matter to us when we're gone? You know, yep. I mean, what is? Yeah, I get what, exactly what you're well, saying. Well, do you have an answer? I don't. I mean, I I feel like. Do you have an answer, Mike? Uh, 
I, I'm, I'm interrupted both of you. I think I think that, and I said this before. Uh, I said it on the last podcast. So I'll say it again. But if my sons couldn't go up on this mountain over here and hunt a bear, thirty years from now, forty right. years from now, if bear, my son Bear Newcomb couldn't drive up there, park his truck, yeah. walk up there and kill a bear, I fear that he would be something different than me. Yeah, that may not be in and of itself wrong, mm. but the but but we have survived as a people. I mean, the whole idea mm. of parenthood is that you're passing values into your kids. That's right. You're passing values because whatever we did worked for us. I mean, do you see the logic? I mean, like as a parent, you want your kid essentially to be kind of like you. You don't you don't raise up a kid just hoping they're going to go do something radically different than you and i'm not right. saying that's necessarily right or wrong but just that's the nature of parenthood yep deep down inside i want my sons to kind of be like me and now they may not be big hunters and i've told them deliberately many times you don't have to take hunting as serious as i have you know kind of de-escalating the pressure because i take it serious. it's my job i mean it's like we talk about it is a big part of our life and i've intentionally de-escalated that inside my family kind of let them approach hunting at their own pace you know yep but deep down i hope that they value it and i hope that you know should time persist and i grow to be an old man and can't go up on that mountain that they come and tell me stories of them and their sons going up on that mountain yep and that would be valuable to me yep i think that's true of every every generation like you said i think stonemasons building Gothic cathedrals in 1250 wanted their children to be stonemasons. Yeah. And then there came a day where technology moved, priorities moved, you know, life goes on and it's, it's continually changes. And there came a day where they, they didn't need the stonemasons anymore. And there was a, there was a generation that said, well, I guess my, my kids aren't going to, be stonemasons because we don't build cathedrals anymore. Yeah. yeah. And that's true of, uh, you can look at that in many, many areas of life where parents hope their children have this experience or value this because it's so important to the parent, but things move on and those, those opportunities have changed. Uh, the circumstances have changed. So does that mean... I mean, some people would predict that modern hunting that we know in North America will not exist as it is in the next 50, 60 years. Yeah. That's a bizarre and scary thought to me. It is. I mean, and it's true. We are sheltered, Scott, living here in Arkansas. Sure. But and, and you've heard me talk about it. Being on the national bear scene of all scenes, mm-hmm. I see firsthand the, you know, what's happening nationally. Um, and, and there, there is some good news inside of, inside of hunter recruitment and inside of public perception of hunting. But, but with what we're talking about is even a layer deeper than that. We're talking about not what other people think of us or not a democratic process that's going to influence our lives. We're talking about the very fabric of hunting changing, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and, and, and ultimately in. 40, 50 years, will the hunters be the same? But could they have said the same thing um, 
in 1800 when Gerstocker yeah. was pounding around out in these mountains in buckskin that he made shooting deer with, you know, single shot round bullet muzzleloaders. Yeah. I mean, like, would he have said, man, these guys coming up aren't going to know about this. Right. And it's going to run hunting. I don't know. He probably he probably did. Mike, briefly talk about photography. You said something earlier about how Mike drew the same parallel to what we're saying about photography. Okay. Uh, about how the guys used to haul in, like photography used to be so hard, and now it's so easy. Yes. And in some ways it has cheapened this thing. Yes, oh, very much, very much so. I was telling Clay about um, photographers that were, especially out at West, a guy by the name of Edward Mybridge, William Henry Jackson, um, Edward Curtis, there are a number of them that, um, especially the guys who were the first guys who went into Yosemite uh, Valley, they would have to backpack in about a ton of equipment with probably six, seven, eight mules. There were no roads, and it would take, you know, an entire summer, and they had big glass plate negatives, and it was when you set up for a scene, you better make sure it's what you want and you better get it right because you only had so many negatives that you could carry with you. <laughs> and so it was a lot of hard work. You had to know the light, the conditions. They would scout for days to find the best vantage point. And so when they came back with a negative and then made a print out of it, I mean, it was something kind of like coming home with that one dough out of the Washita's. Yeah. I'm, you know, this is special to me. Um, and then you advance forward, and the film films got different. Uh, you know, film film came out, and cameras got different, and they got much, much, much smaller. And the sense of craft, and I think that's what I feel in your family, is just a sense of craft of hunting. Yeah. And yeah. that sense of craft began to be lost inside of photography. You would spend hours in a dark room and trying to get a perfect print, and making sure you understood how to develop the negative and and very sensitive, learning how to be very sensitive to the light because of that. And then digital, the digital came age. And this is something, you know, that's in definitely in our lifetime. I can almost tell you the year, you know, 1999, 98, 99. A massive shift took place inside of photography. And by 2006, photographers were throwing away darkroom equipment and selling every film camera they had. And digi the digital age was absolutely here and now everybody is a photographer yeah everybody yeah. can produce 30 by 40 gigantic prints in their house with their own printer and and, and what's that done as someone who's i mean is it is it good or is it bad can you answer it i can i've never been able to say whether it's good or bad i can only say that it is it just is what it, it is. is what it is and there's part of me that misses the craft and misses that sense of craft because right. a life was invested inside of it and a love was developed inside of it. Now it's just something that feels it's easy. It's quick. It's easy. It's quick and it's a quick return and there's a quick reward and, and you're off to the next thing. I, li I like I like that you brought that word in. That it was craft. It was a it was a craft like the craft of hunting. Yeah. Because I think that's what essentially that's what a lot of these modern things that we're doing takes away. That's right. Takes away the craft of it. And that's what someone, that's what we value inside of hunting. Yep. But at the same time, 
the only reason Clay Newcomb's a photographer is because of digital, digital cameras, Mike Schultz. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And, and the only reason some of these guys are, are hunting is because it's easier than it used to be. Yeah. You know, every, every ounce of society, what we're experiencing is just a societal shift in every way. I mean, I think about coon hunting. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be a coon hunter today if it wasn't for GPS technology. When I was a kid in these mountains, turning loose dogs that just had a leather collar on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like for real. I mean, sure. dogs go out of hearing. You don't know where they're at. You stay out all night. Right. Jeez. I don't know if I would be a coon hunter if I didn't have GPS. Because GPS, you know exactly where they're at. If they're not barking and they're half a mile away, you drive over there and catch them and go home. Right. And, uh, you know, they're going towards the road and they're going to drive out, get out on the highway and get hit. You tone them. Yeah. And they turn around and come back. Like, you would have never known. That. So, my point is, somebody could, an old coon hunter could be sitting here going, Clay, you don't <laughs> even know what coon hunting is. No. Coon hunting is when you turn a dog loose and you're committed. Yeah. You're committed to listen to his bark. You're committed to know where he's probably going to run. You're committed to know, you know, you're, you're, you, you know the craft of coon. You know that if you turn him loose here, that dog's probably going to end up on the backside of that ridge, yeah. way up in that hollow tree. Yeah. You know, it, Clay Newcomb doesn't know that because Clay has a GPS. Yeah. And it's just like, you know. So I think what we're experiencing is is happening all through society. But our problem is is that the consequences of of what we're talking about is significant. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to quit. Photography isn't going to cease to exist because That's correct. people, it makes it easier. It's actually That's probably going to grow it. It's it. proliferated. Absolutely. But yeah. – it, it, maybe that's what is happening with hunting. I mean, if we, and that's the question is if we make it easier, are more people going to do it? And it's going to become, you know, something better than it was. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. I see how you can arrive at that. Or yeah. is it going to cheapen it so much that when it, when it really gets down to brass tacks that they're going to go, ah, it's not that valuable. I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. It's interesting. Scott, I had you on here so you could tell us the answers. Yeah, yeah, well. I don't know if I have an answer for that. But, you you, you know, technology is driving everything. I mean, yeah. just think about how one device, I think the single biggest device that has changed hunting over the past, let's just say 20 years, and probably you could probably narrow it down more than that, and it has to do with photography. Yeah. Is a Mike's game camera. His camera yeah. photos. Trail cam. There, nothing has changed hunting more I, in my opinion than a trail camera, a trail camera. yeah trail absolutely. camera is forever changed hunting yeah and I, I think about man if i'd had some trail cameras when i was growing up out here in the washita's and you'd go you know all year without seeing a deer sometimes what would i have given to put a trail camera on that scrape that i found you know so i could just get a glimpse of the deer you know yeah. what what is that you know but then I think about it, and I think, what made it so fun was the unknown of what that deer was. Yeah. You know? You laid in bed at night, day, you know, drifting off into sleep, thinking about how big that deer was, or how big he could be, or whatever, and it was that unknown to me that made it fun. I, I just, yeah. I absolutely loved it. You know, yeah. not knowing. 
um, back then. Nowadays, it's like, you know, we got names for all of our deer. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a split time. Well, you, you, that's you gave a good example earlier to me. You said that uh, somebody will text you a picture of a, of a deer. Yeah. And they'll say, how old do you think that deer is? Yeah. And you'll say, that's probably a two- or three-year-old deer. And they'll go, well, shoot. I don't shoot two or three deer two or three year old deer. Yeah. I mean this as a condensed version. Yeah. And 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 Scott's point was that they would if they actually saw that deer in the woods and didn't have it on camera, they'd shoot it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. And be probably thrilled with it. But because we have this new tool for analysis and 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 that's social too. Tell about the story about your your boy's deer, if you're comfortable telling that. Yeah, so anyway I've got a lot of pros and cons to cameras. I just want to tell you that. But anyhow, my my son uh, last year killed a really nice deer. I mean, it the deer wasn't a day over two and a half years old. It was an eight point biggest deer he's ever killed. So it was his personal best, if you will. You know, yep. and uh, the only person prouder than him for killing that deer was me. Mm-hmm. I I just thought it was you know the he he'd hit over the moon. You know. Yeah. Uh, he killed this deer, and, of course, we took pictures of it on his phone and this, that, and other, and he took it to school the next day. Couldn't wait to show, you know, just like me and you, can't wait to yeah. show each other what we killed. Show his buddies. Yeah, so he went to school, and he showed it to, you know, a couple of his buddies, and, you know, he come home from school, and I said, well, what would you, what'd your buddies think about the deer you killed? And he's like, oh, they told me I should have waited. <laughs> and I said, what? And they said, Yeah. You know, first first friend I asked said, why'd you shoot that deer? You should let him mm. grow another year or two, you know. And another kid was like, why'd you shoot that deer? You know, every every kid was just almost critical of him shooting this deer. And it was obviously a young deer. But it was the best deer he had ever killed in his life. And probably the best deer those kids had ever, right. would have ever killed They'd in their life. they been taught. Yeah. So it's, it's, it it's came tough. down to... You know, we've almost created a sense of, and, and here's the thing, I, I believe in deer management. If you want to grow big deer and you want to do all that stuff and you've got the time to do it, hey, more power to you. I'm all about it. But when you got guys that text message you and say, hey, uh, you think I ought to let this deer grow up? And my response to that person is, I don't know. Would would you be happy with that deer? I mean, if you would Rocket be science. if you would be happy with that deer, yeah, then shoot the deer. You know, I mean, what? Quit worrying about whether or not it's five or it's four or it's a one twenty five or a one forty or what it may or may not ever be or whatever. Yeah. If you think, if you look at that deer in in, in your heart, you want to kill that deer, then kill that deer. That's my whole thing. Is yeah. We get so caught up, and, and I believe that comes from a lot of social absolutely uh, pressure. Um, just like my son, he 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 was so proud, but was almost shamed. Yeah, he was shamed for shooting this you, this deer. You pulled out a text message, a picture on your phone earlier. Yeah, uh, Mike, he'll Scott will show it to you maybe. Yeah, I'd like to me see and it. Scott back in two thousand one, I think it was or two. Yeah, and Scott had killed a six point buck that probably had a total of. 25 inches on his head maybe maybe <laughs> yeah and he'd killed a doe and a buck that day on public land and there was a bunch of us that were hunting together and i mean we thought enough of those deer to like 
We got a group picture. A group yeah, picture. Group, yeah. And that I remember just thinking that was like the coolest day yeah. ever. Yeah. And and just a little bitty six point buck. And Scott said, Man, I wish we could go back to that. And I thought this I mean when I look at that picture, I just think, dang, that was fun. Yeah. You know, this picture to me strikes me, it's a great photograph. All these men standing around supporting him and yet it's almost counterculture today, you know. You, yeah. you you would think there would be it would be a one sixty class buck on the ground or something yeah, to yeah. have that photograph. Yeah, yeah. You we know? we went way out of our way to do that. Yeah, I just think about that deer today and we've arrived at a place now that you know, if you shot that little six point, you'd be ashamed to tell anybody about well, it. Well your son's deer was bigger than that oh, one. Oh is oh yeah. It <laughs> it was much larger than this deer in the you know yeah. the picture. Uh, but I don't know. I I worry about stuff like that. You know, I, I feel like um, you know we. I shot that deer because it meant something to me. You know, I mean, oh my gosh, it was public land, like you said. We hunted hard all week, if you'll remember, and yeah. this really hadn't had any luck at all. And when we killed that deer, it was kind of like finally, you know, yeah. we, we've we've put all the pieces together, and we finally produce something you know and we were so proud of that deer and today man i don't know i, I feel like we've gotten a place where um and I, I think if you search the hearts of men if you will women whatever hunters and said if you took the social pressure out of it they'd shoot those deer all day long yes you know what i mean yes. they, they would be happy but because of the social pressure that they feel from you know outside sources whatever yeah they don't shoot you know they they question whether or not they want to shoot that yeah. deer well it's the hunting world is just it's never apples to apples yep like we've been the, the culture has been highly pressured by midwestern whitetail television of the 90s even mm-hmm. when guys were in the midwest killing big deer and all of a sudden that became the standard and those deer weren't everywhere. Those opportunities weren't everywhere. They still aren't everywhere. And so you can't take the standards of the Midwest, Kansas, and southern Iowa and put them in the Ouachita Mountains of Arkansas. Right. You'll tear yourself apart. Yeah. But our world's so connected now that it's hard not to. Yeah. And that's what those, boy, those boys that were giving, giving your boy a hard time. Yeah. I mean, they've been watching Outdoor Channel. Yeah. And well, it's and boy it's it's just a can of worms. But I, I think the answer is is that every every family has the right to build their own hunting culture and values. And and that's what I'm working hard to do inside of my family. Right. And I've seen holes in my in in my parenting that yeah. I have noticed of late. Yeah. I really have. Oh, I have too. And I'm, and, I'm and you know, we I'm I'm making very intentional decisions to uh to change some of the things that I'm doing. But my kids do know that we value, they understand value inside of a hunt. Yep. They understand that a deer taken this way, it might step on somebody's toes, but is less valuable. Now, from a meat perspective, from a functional perspective, from a ration, you know, it's it's not. We're, We're getting meat, but humans are complex animals. We're, right. we're we're not animals. We're complex beings that, you know, I'm able to assign value here mm-hmm. and assign value here. And there are certain things that have a higher value to me than other things, even though from a, you know, we get the same meat, which is equal value. If we're just talking about gathering meat, none of this matters. That's right. 
none of it matters a bit. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, we're not just talking about gathering meat. We're yeah. complex. This is a complex thing. So we're talking about what it, you know, we're talking about a whole bunch of different stuff. But yeah, you know, I, it's funny. We, I think we talked on the phone here a while back. I got a really good friend lives in northwest Arkansas. In fact, he showed me the way to Madison County Wildlife Management Area back in the day, and you know him really well. And uh, you know, I credit him to allowing me into his kind of honey hole, if you will, up in yeah. northwest Arkansas. And um, anyway, we uh, hunted a lot together back then. And you know, he wasn't in that photograph we were talking about earlier, but you know, he was in on a lot of hunts with me up there. Yeah. And you know, we were tickled to death to shoot a two-year-old basket rack eight-point buck with our bow. I mean, it was. It meant more to me than the, some of the biggest bucks I've killed in my lifetime. Yep. Those hunts that, that I went on up there. And, you know, been, I told you, been kind of in a, kind of in a funny place about hunting. You know, it's all kind of snowballed on me. The whole, you know, whether it be the shaming for shooting smaller deer, whether it be how we've changed hunting from the craft, as Mike said earlier, to more of a, uh, let's build a, you know, an ecosystem and invite deer into it kind of thing. All that's kind of just compounded on me here in the last few years. And, and, you know, every year I find myself struggling a little more to make sense of all of it. And I just wondered if I was by myself, you know, I kind of think, yeah. am I just out here on the Island by myself feeling this way or whatever? And so it, it's just really unique that, um, uh, he calls me the other day, we're talking on the phone and he says, man, he goes, I'm I'm kind of in a, I'm going through a midlife crisis on this deer hunt. <laughs> and that's the way he put it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I kind of thought, you know, I've never, I've never thought about it like that. And I said, yeah, carry on. You know, I'm listening, yeah, yeah. you know, and he's like, man, I just don't know what to do. He said, I, I've, you know, I've got game cameras up all over the place. I got these big deer on camera and, you know, I've spent all my time hunting one or two deer and, you know, I'm realizing that the joy that I used to experience with hunting when we used to go shoot does and just whatever, you know, whatever yeah. we could get within bow range back years ago, you know, the joy I experienced in that is gone. You know, he, mm-hmm. it's me and this deer. I don't have a group with me. I don't have a bunch of guys to hunt with mm-hmm. because it's me and this deer that I've got on right. camera. And He and, can't invite you to go on that. Yeah, and he said, I'm just... I've realized, you know, he goes, I want to shoot these big deer. I feel like I'm pre there's pressure on me to shoot these big deer. He said that. Yes. And, and he's killed a lot of big deer. I I told you the other day, I think, I think he, you know, he's killed more deer than more Pope and young class deer than anybody I know in the past 20 years, probably. Yeah. And he said, man, I, I just don't, I, I'm almost expected now to only shoot these big deer mm-hmm. it's become the expectation mm-hmm. for me to shoot big deer and not you know young deer or whatever and he said so i'm questioning how much i really enjoy this and he said I, I'm, it's almost unenjoyable mm-hmm. and so anyway you know we talk about that and the whole time i'm talking to him i'm thinking man have you been reading my mind I mean, that's exactly the way I feel. I feel the same way you feel about this. Yeah. There's almost a, you know, an expectation now that you deliver some big deer every year, right. every other year, or whatever. And, you know, the minute you stop enjoying it, 
you need to slow down and just think about it evaluate. again. Evaluate. Reevaluate. I've done my best, and my the thing that's helped me over the past couple of years is, is I have basically just started hunting public land again. Just, you know, there for a while I got on some leases and did some of that for a while. And like you said, you're in competition with everybody else on the lease, and so you find yourself hunting in a way that you don't really like to hunt, but you have to hunt in order to yes. compete with the people on the lease. And, you know, I just I thought, man, I'm I'm shooting deer – but I'm, if I'm honest with myself, I'm not just having the greatest time. But going back to hunting public land, there's a management area here that me and you both have hunted in our life, in our lifetimes that I value a lot and I've hunted a lot on. Hunting the Washita Mountains up here, I know that my chances of shooting a deer are far less. Even seeing a deer are far less. Um, but, and, and here's the other thing. I haven't put a game camera on a tree in four or five years. I've just quit it. And Mm -hmm. I find myself at the end of the day really enjoying hunting a little bit more. Let me tell you something else. You kill big deer too. Yeah. and There's a big – sounds like Scott's building up to say that he's not been a very successful hunter in recent years. We're looking at a deer right there that he killed a month ago that is a – monster public land arkansas buck you know what the greatest thing the the greatest appreciation for that deer is for me i know what you're gonna say i've never seen that deer before (laughs) i knew you're gonna say that i've I've never laid eyes on that deer but you knew you you play even if you never knew that deer was there you absolutely did your homework i mean i know you you knew exactly what you were doing when you killed that deer even though you never had a trail camera up well, it was old school. It was know? actually almost cheating what you did, Scott. Yeah, it was cheating. You knew that you knew that ground so well, and yeah. those deer movements so well. You know, it was it was old school, almost as if it was craft. Yeah, it was. It was. It was craft. It really was that one. But that's exactly what that deer was. You yeah. know, I found the sign. I went in there and just on a you know just faith. It was just I just had to. Well, you got away from people too. You did some stuff that yeah helped you get way away from people on public land without you know yeah you didn't use a mule no but you got away from people right and it you know it's one of those deals where i was acceptant of the fact that when i see the deer that's made this sign it may not be a very big deer but it didn't matter to me i was going to shoot whatever deer was making that sign in there i'd made my mind up i didn't have to know that it was a 145 Mm -hmm. or 50 inch deer or whatever i didn't have to know any of that i knew that if i could put the pieces of the puzzle together and kill and, and and get a in range of that deer i was gonna shoot that deer yeah and of course there was probably more than one buck in there who knows maybe i didn't even shoot the biggest one in there i don't know but yeah. i don't care yeah the deer i shot plenty good enough for me you yeah. know and maybe there was a bigger one in there and that's the deal it had i had a game camera in there and there was one twice that big in there would i shot that deer would i have i don't know yeah you, you know it would have been torn if you did i yeah. guarantee you that and so the way it is now, I don't know that. So that deer right over there makes me as happy as I could be about it, you know? Yeah. And so it's funny, too. I was telling you about the, my friend up north of Arkansas. I don't know if I should mention his name or not because I don't know if he'd want me to. But I, I figure he wouldn't care, but I don't know. I don't want to. Yeah. But anyway, he's, uh, he texted me, I think it was last week or week before, and he said, man, you inspired me on the telephone the other day. <laughs> 
And I said, I said, what? He goes, man, he said, I went to Missouri, place I've never been before, found some sign, got in a tree where I felt I needed to be and shot this buck. And he has a picture of this really nice Oh, really? Buck, yeah. And uh, didn't ever, never had seen it before. Didn't have, you know, didn't have game cameras on a tree. Just went up there old school. And, killed it. and hunted some sign and in some faith and got up in a tree and killed this deer. And he is so proud of it. And, you know, not as big as the ones he had on camera back in Arkansas yeah. or any of that stuff, but just thrilled to death about that deer that he killed. Yeah. And so, you know, that, I think you got to get back to that sometimes. You know, I think about you, you know, I've been struggling the last few years as an archery hunter. I love to archery hunt. Absolutely love it. Um, but if I'm honest with myself, I don't get quite what I got out of it 20 years ago. Yeah. But you going back to traditional, having the best archery equipment money can buy, yeah. and now you're shooting a, a, a stick with a string on it and yeah. killing animals with it. And there's something very organic about that that, I, I, I mean, I just love it. I love, and I yeah. think that's where. Well, it brought it brought back. It brought back something that I felt like I had lost. Yeah, there you go. And I think that's what you're in search of the whole time. Whether it's me going back and, and, and hunting public land and committing to that and just getting back into that and and doing away with game cameras and, and making it, you know, getting back to the roots of it, I guess. Yeah. Or like, you, like in your case, you know, switching back or going to – no switching back to it. it you started out with compounds right, and did yeah, all that, yeah, yeah. but but going to traditional archery equipment and and you know giving yourself a you know a, a new it, challenge. It, it, yeah, it just it brought back something that I had used to have with a compound bow. Yeah, that I lost with a compound bow. Right, but I get it back when I have that trad bow in hand. That's right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and I admire you for that. And I've got a there's a friend here in town, you do you know as well, who's done the same thing. You know, he told me a few years ago, he said, Man, I'm just I'm just kinda losing interest and this, that and the other and he went and got him a trad bow and that's all he talks about now. He's just back into it, you know, hundred and ten percent. So I think what you know, I identify with what you're saying about the hunting midlife crisis. Yeah. When it comes to whitetails and yeah. locally, you know, the massively yeah. i really do yeah. i mean yeah i don't even we're too deep in this for me to get into it but i just <laughs> want to say i 100 percent identify and i think a lot of people will identify with that hunting midlife crisis yeah especially guys that have hunted their whole life yeah you know guys that are just getting into it it's it may be a little different and that's good but and it's funny you say that i think some of the funnest hunting i do now we had a friend this year we we take a year or here we take a week off every year during Halloween and it's a archery hunt and it's normally it's really that it's around the front door of the rut. It's really a good time to be in the right. woods. This year it wasn't as good. Rut fell a little later this year, it's a little, little different. But we had a guy in camp who had never killed a deer with a bow. Hmm. And I'm telling you, me and, and my friend Tim uh, that was in camp with us. That's all we wanted to accomplish that week. And, and that was just as fun yeah. as anything. And we put him in absolutely the best place that you could possibly find. And it was public land. 
uh, and we'd done all the scouting. We did the homework for, for the guy. It was basically yeah. a guided hunt, you know. I mean, yeah. we, we did all the homework. <laughs> yeah. We told him which tree to get in. We we did all the work for him, but we wanted so bad for him to kill a deer that it didn't matter what we did, you know. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we got and we got that done. And that was the greatest. So he killed a deer. Yeah, he killed a really nice eight-point. Really? Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, biggest buck of the week, for sure. I yeah. mean, just a really nice deer. Um and he was just tickled to death. And I, I don't know. I, I really believe that Tim and I were probably more proud of that deer than he was. Yeah. I really feel that way. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. he was well, he was excited, don't get me wrong. But to me, getting somebody, seeing that excitement in right. a new hunter puts a little bit in me too, you know, because yeah. you get to see them go through it and get excited. And, oh, man, that's what it's all about. And, and I miss a little bit of that. And to yeah. see, and that's why I hunt so much with my kids now. When I have yeah. free time to hunt now, you know, 99% of that, I'm taking one of my boys or we're doing something hunting together because they get excited. You know, yeah. they still yeah. have that fire to, that, you know, they get nervous. They get all those things, you know, and <laughs> yeah. that's what it's all about. It really is. So yeah. uh, I take a lot of turkey hunters on their first hunt, you yeah. know, and that's, that's something I really like to do. Um, I've killed a lot of turkeys in my life. I, and if I don't kill another one, that's okay. But man, when I take somebody and set them down in front of me and call up a turkey and get to sit there and get a front row seat to somebody, you know, going through that mm-hmm. stress of trying mm-hmm. to stay still and doing all that mm-hmm. and they're shaking and they're all, man, it just don't get any better than that. Yeah. It just doesn't get any better <laughs> Does than that. Scott, does that take you back? It does. In it really, a way, you're kind of you're kind of seeing it through their eyes. And, I, I yeah. am. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I think. I think it yeah. it brings back those old feelings of when you used to get that way and 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 all that. And man, I don't know. I, I well, I think we're just all searching for the. We want so bad for our kids. You said it earlier. We want so bad for our kids to be as excited about it as we are. And and, yeah. and the person who you take hunting, you want him to be just as excited as you are or were. Yeah. And, and you want all those things. And, you know, you. Yeah, I was thinking, though, that even if they don't follow in your footsteps, the values that you impart inside of your pursuit and they're seeing you and your craft it does implant something in them that they will use inside of their life. It will be be part of who they are and what they do. It may not look the same. It may not be in the same area of expertise or that type of thing, but it does, it does implant something in the, in them, your excitement about it. Um, and you're you're in the depth of richness. Yeah. Because you know, anything that we do, I mean, really, I, I hope that my sons, ultimately what I want my kids to become is is really probably people that are capable of excellence and craft inside of something. And I've chosen hunting to dedicate myself to. That's right. You know, but because it's like, would I want my son to just grow up and be a big buck killer, but be a terrible employee and father <laughs> and no. Right. What I want him to be is like a a whole human that but but I see his connection to wild places and wildlife and hunting as 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 being a part of that, you know. Yeah. I mean I I hope that it would be. I see what you're saying. I didn't say it the right way there, Mike, but what um, you're saying um, is that 
if your dad was an it was a was a wood cra- you know was a was a great you know woodworker you may not be a woodworker but you're going to take that excellence that he had inside of that and apply it in something else maybe yeah and learning how to manage that also like you you know scott's talking about you know this kind of almost like rebirth that's important because you're going back to to really the important thing why do i do this you know why is it important to me and that's the thing to share with your with your i think with the the next generation why do we do this why is it important yeah and uh, and then again, they can apply that into their their life. Yeah. Uh, well, guys, closing thoughts, Scott. Closing thought. Did we we didn't talk about probably everything we talked about, but we'll we'll do another one one of these days. No, I really enjoyed it. You know, I've always admired uh, you, Clay, and because I think we think a lot alike. Um, you know, the thing, the value in hunting passing on the tradition the heritage and all those things you know i love what you do with your videography and you bring your kids into it and all that type stuff and i think my favorite videos are when you've got one of your kids with you and and maybe maybe you're not even successful that hunt or whatever i know river had a couple of rough deals but you know that's hunting and that's that's all part of the process you know and i think it's great and I, i i appreciate that you you know allow us into your I get to see how you manage your kids and, and through the hunting landscape and all that. And I think it's great. And, uh, you know, I hope hunting tradition in my family goes on generation after generation, but, um, you know, all we can do is manage, manage today and, yeah, mm-hmm. and do what we can to, like, like Mike said, maybe, it, maybe they don't take an appreciation for it, but we instill something in them through that process that yeah. carries on for generations to come so. yeah man i appreciate you bringing me on um love just having conversations this is like a conversation me and you have on the phone a lot yeah. of times driving down the road yeah you know exactly. so we make a podcast that's really that's what we're thing. trying to replicate here i, I wish we could have yeah you, sometimes you wish you had stuff recorded sometimes yeah but. yeah for sure no but been fun really yeah man enjoyed it really mike enjoyed it. closing thoughts um, what do you what do you think about what we just talked about yeah i thought it was really rich and deep and uh, I appreciate you inviting me in on this, Clay, to sit here and listen and to meet Scott and get to know him better and uh, really see his heart for for the, for the hunting and for his family. Yeah. Great time for me tonight. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, it's been fun. Well, gentlemen, keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. <laughs>